Buenos dias. Yeah, I, the, the sermons I had would not have been too helpful, and uh, so they did ask me to turn in a sermon. So uh, I said, well, I'm not preaching until actually next Sunday is the first time I'm preaching anywhere in the area that we could record it. And uh, so I asked them, and they said, well, then just get in front of a camera and preach something. And I'll tell you what, it is very different to try and preach to nobody. So I would much rather be here in front of you and in front of people uh, as we... Uh, as we look into God's Word. Today we'll be looking at one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's not one of the more famous stories, but it, it, it's one of my favorite stories. So while you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 30, I'm going to just give a little bit of, uh, of insight as to what this is, what this is about. Uh, the title of this message is Lessons from the Ups and Downs of Life. Because what, what we're going to find, and I think if, uh, if you've been, spent any time in the Christian life, you'll know that, that there are ups and downs in ministry. There are ups and downs in life. And I don't know where you're coming today. Some of you might be coming today. And yesterday, you you may have been involved in some of the ministries where where people got saved. And you're coming today, and you're on a high. And just things are going well. Sun is shining. It's a beautiful day. And you just can't be more excited uh, to be here and and worship the Lord. Or it's possible that you come today, and maybe some things are going on in your life. just made it very difficult. I've heard that there are some recent funerals. that have uh, taken place. And th- different things could, could be happening in the lives in the same body of people at one time. And some may be coming today in the ups. Some may be coming today in the downs of life. But I love this, this chapter, 1 Samuel 30, because in the life of David, we find, inside one chapter, we find a very low point in David's life, where things are, are very difficult. And then by the time the chapter ends, he, he's on a spiritual high, he's on a victorious high, things are going fantastic. But in this, we're going to see some really interesting things. We see the, the highs and the lows of David's life. I've heard it said before that life is like a, a highway. But I think if we're honest, we'll find that life is less like a highway and a little bit more like the roads in Kentucky. <laughs> Has anyone ever dr- driven through Kentucky? Then you know what I'm talking about. It, they're, they're ups and they're downs. That's the way life really is. But you know what? There are lessons to be learned in the valleys. There are lessons to be learned in the high points of life. And, uh, and so this gives us one small glimpse of David's life where we're going to see a little bit of both. And we're going to see, uh, just to let us know where we're going, we're going to see, really, in, in 1 Samuel 30, we're going to see the lessons for the downs first, the, the, the low points in life, and then we'll look at the lessons for the high points in life. In each case, we're going to look at where, how we're prone to respond you know, by nature, as human beings, when we go through low points, we're prone to respond the same way. Our nature reacts to the negative circumstances in our life, and that's how we react. But we're also going to look at one person who responded in a very different way, and we're going to see how should we respond in those times. So I don't know where you're coming from today. You might be coming on a high point. You might be coming in a low point. But either way, allow this text to work its way into your heart today. And I believe, as Pastor prayed, we will all be able to leave today a little bit closer to being like God wants us to be. Amen? Amen. And so let's, uh, let's take a look at that uh, today, then. We'll get started. And so we'll start in uh, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 1 through 5. Now it happened, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag, and burned it with fire. And had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. Verse 3, so David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire. And their wives, their sons, and 
their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahinoam and uh, the, Jezreelite, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. You know, to, to understand a little bit of the context of here, what's going on in, in, uh, in this part of 1 Samuel, David has been going around with about 600 men, and he's had victory after victory after victory. Uh, he has a history in the town of Ziklag, so he felt safe enough to leave his family there. We don't have time today to get into the whole part about uh, him having uh, two wives, and we will get into that sometime, I'm sure, as you study uh, your word. You, your word. And, and just suffice it today to say, God does not approve of polygamy. Are we all in agreement on that? Okay, then we'll, we'll, we'll work through that. Uh, uh, you can work through that on your own time. But let me say this. Uh, when David came back, if we were to put ourselves in his shoes for a moment, I think we would begin to understand the depths of the low point that he was experiencing when he came home. And we've all gone through low points. We've all had difficult times. But I'll tell you what, there's nothing that would touch my heart more than if you touch my family. Does that make sense? You're probably in the same place, many of us, where you know, if you want to say something about me, okay. If you hurt me, okay. I can put up with that. If, if you take something that belongs to me, okay, we'll live with, you know. But if you harm my family, that's a very different story because they're very close to my heart. And so David, if you can imagine... He's come home from victory, and he's on a, he's on a high, you know, an emotional high. He comes home, and as he sees the city, it's burning in smoke, and his heart just sinks. I'm sure he ran, no matter how tired he was from battle. He ran into the city. He gets there and realizes that everyone he knows, all of his family, all of the, the members of the family of, of his men are gone. They're taken captive. Now, I don't know what kind of a low point you might be coming to, uh, to us today with, but I doubt it's to the gravity of what David was going through at this point. A difficult time. Lessons. Lessons during the doubts of life. How are we prone to respond? Let's take a look at verse 6. Uh, verse 6, starting just the first half of verse 6. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his son's and his daughters. So David not only has to put up with the fact that he's lost his family, but now everyone else, they're feeling it too. And what are they doing? They're looking for someone to, to blame. They're looking for someone to blame. Really, the, the, how we're prone to respond, we, 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 try, we tend to respond first when things go wrong with blame. You know, actually, it's part of our culture, isn't it? We are a culture that lives off of blame. When you think about it, everybody is a victim, right? No matter what you do wrong, it's not your fault, it's a, you're, you're a victim of something. The, the society has made you that way. And so uh, that's just the way our, we are by nature. We tend to look for someone to blame. You don't have to look past uh, politics on TV. And if, as soon as something goes wrong, no one says, oh, you know what, I made a wrong decision there. Have you ever, have you ever seen a politician, Democrat or Republican, Say, you know what, the, the things are going bad because I made, I made some wrong choices back there. Anyone ever hear that or see that? No, what do we do? We blame. That's human nature. We look for someone to blame. 
In fact, that's even crept into Christianity. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had some, uh, some textbooks that we had to read in a Christian psychology class. And uh, uh, we read this one book where the, the whole theory of the book, and this was a, a Christian, uh, the whole theory of the book was that it, the way to overcome sins in your life is very simple. Step number one, you have to realize that you're not responsible for your own sins. That was step number one. Because the, anything that you do that's wrong, it's because you were raised to do it that way. I'm not lying. This was in a Christian textbook, right? And so that was step number one. Step number two, you think of the people who, who raised you, and you have to forgive them because you realize that they treated you that way because they couldn't help it. That's the way they were raised. And then eventually you keep taking that process until you're starting to forgive people that you've never even heard of. And you go back to your great-great-grandparents and so on. And, and somehow, magically, you're just going to overcome those, those sins. How many of you believe that? I hope there's no hands up there, right? Of course not, because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do two things. What? Forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has a way of dealing with sin. Um, in fact, he even said the days of just confessing for be forgiven are gone. It was a quote from the book. Wow. But you know what? It's because our human nature tells us when things are going wrong, even if I caused some of those things that went wrong, we have to look for someone outside of ourselves to blame. I'll put a second word in, uh, into this description as well. Blame is the first one. But the second one, I would say, is revenge. If we look at uh, verse 6 again. Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. Because of the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. So the people were grieved, so they were looking for someone to blame. And then when there's blame, what follows? Revenge. When we blame someone, we want to seek out revenge. And in this case, they were wanting to stone David for taking them out on their battles which 15 minutes before they saw the city burning, they were happy with David, weren't they? As people, we can be fickle sometimes, can't we? And, and that's exactly how they were uh, with, with David. And all of a sudden, they're wanting to stone him. But revenge is a bad idea when things are going wrong, isn't it? It's what we find here in the text. Revenge is a bad idea when things are going wrong. In fact... We, I can say there are two reasons why revenge is bad. Number one, because revenge is oftentimes misdirected. Because when things are going wrong, do we think clearly? Let's be honest. Do we think clearly when things are going wrong? Not really. And these men were not thinking very clearly either. Because when things were going wrong, who were they wanting to blame? David. Now let me ask you this. Did David take any of their sons and daughters? Did he capture any of their wives? Who was really to blame in this story? The Amalekites, right? But oftentimes, when, when we're looking for someone to blame, our vengeance, our revenge becomes misdirected. And we start seeking revenge on the wrong people. Well, the Amalekites had already gone. They're, they're out of reach. So who do we blame? Well, David's right here. It's an easy person to blame, isn't it? It's a bad idea. The second reason I would say it's a bad idea is because revenge is not our duty. I'm sure we're familiar with uh, Romans 12, 19. What does it say? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we find it again in Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews 10, I believe. Um, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. You know what? God has 
his own system of justice and it's way better than mine. Amen? His system of justice is so much better than any of ours and he never makes a wrong judgment. And so let's leave vengeance to the Lord. But if we recognize that this is how we're prone to respond, we're going to recognize that sin when it creeps up in our life. And when something goes bad, we're going to take it out on the wrong people. And we shouldn't do that. But how should we respond? We're going to find, uh, we're going to find that in the second half of, uh, of verse 6. Let's verse, uh, verse 6. I'll read the whole verse just for the context. Now, David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters... But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. David found strength in something completely different. He found strength in the Lord his God. Too many times when things are going wrong, I thought I was going to fall off there for a second. (laughs) That would be a great way to present myself, right? (laughs) But David found strength in the Lord his God. Instead of looking for the approval of men, because if he's basing it on the approval of men, he would be very disappointed. But instead, he found strength where? In the Lord is God. That's where we find strength. If you ever look for strength in the approval of men, you're not going to find it there. I think that's part of the problem with politics is everyone puts out a poll so so they know what they're supposed to believe, right? So they know what to say because they're so concerned about what everyone thinks about them. But biblically, as believers, that's really not what we're supposed to be concerned about. Now, surely, we don't want to offend people. There's the other side of that coin. But at the same time, we should seek to find our strength in one person and one person alone. And that's God. We find our strength in the Lord, our God. And we can take comfort because our God is both good and sovereign. You know, if he were one or the other, then it wouldn't be very comforting. If he were good, but not very sovereign, he didn't have the power to follow through on his actions, then being good really wouldn't be that comforting to us. Or if he were sovereign, but he weren't good, then that wouldn't be very comforting. But what does Romans 8, 28 says? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Do you love God? Then God has good intentions for you. Even in the downs of life, he has good intentions, and we can take comfort in that. God does not abandon us to the valleys. He's with us in the valleys. I think the second thing that, that I find very interesting, too, is uh, uh, that we find in verse, uh, verses 7 and 8. Let's take a look at verse 7 and 8. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail, recover all. That's good news for David, right? But David's first response was very different than mine. My first response when things were going bad is to look for a solution. I'm a problem solver by nature. That's just the kind of person I am. I actually enjoy chaos because I like to organize it away sometimes. You know, that's just uh, the part of the crazy personality that the Lord has given me. But one of the weaknesses that with that that I have to be careful for is that when things go wrong, my first tendency is to say, well, let's, let's find a solution. But honestly, who should we be turning to first? To God. And saying, Lord, what should we do? What, what, what is the direction that you've called me 
to go. When things are going wrong, we have a tendency to start looking for solutions when we should be looking for God's direction. Let me ask you this. Do you think God ever leads us to valleys? Or do you think he leads us through valleys? All right, now there's a, there's a slight difference between the two. So let me make sure we're on the same page before we, before we say yes or no. Leading us to the valley means that that's our final destiny. This is where he's brought us to because he wants us to stay there. Leading us through the valley is a very different thing. It means that God's taking us through the low points because there are a lot of lessons to be learned in the valleys of life. Amen? Amen. But he's taking us through those to get somewhere else. So now let me ask the question one more time. How many of you believe God leads, leads us to the valleys? None of us. How many believe that God leads us through the valleys? Amen? And so if we know that, then when we're going through the valley, what should we be looking for first? God's direction. And that's exactly what David did. His men responded with blame. His men responded with revenge. David found strength in the Lord his God. And David sought the Lord's will. And in this case... It was, a, it was a goodwill. It was something, uh, in fact, the, the thing that I think that would have perked me up more than anything is when he said, pursue for you shall surely overtake them and without fail recover all. The people, everything you've lost, you're, you're going to recover everything. First of all, it would let me know that my family's alive. But that we're going to recover. What an exciting thought. Let's continue the story in verse, uh, in verse 9, First uh, uh, Samuel 30. So David went, he and 600 men who were with him, and he came to the brook Basor, where, the, where those stayed, uh, who were left behind. But David pursued, he and 400 men, for 200 stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Basor. Now this is kind of an interesting twist in the story, because what we have is we have David with his 600 men as they were traveling, and, and now they get to the, to the uh, Basor brook, and they split up, 200 of them stay, 400 of them go with David. And this is a little, it's an odd detail to the story when we first think about it, but later on it's, it's going to be very relevant. But why did 200 stay behind? Well, the Bible says they were too weary to cross the brook Basor. Now, in all fairness to, the, to these men, uh, the brook Basor isn't a small brook, it's really a ravine. Okay, so it, it's not exactly easy to cross, but David was not known for having wimps among his 600 men. So why is it that 200 of them were unable to continue? I have a couple theories about that, um, and, but we have to understand a little bit about the battle strategies in those days. In, in, in those days, of course, they weren't using guns. They were using swords and shields and so on. So oftentimes, oftentimes, whoever had more strength when the battle started, that was the side that was going to win. Does that make sense? Because maybe, the, maybe uh, one side has 600 people, another side has 400 people, but the, people with, the side with 400 people only walked two miles, or the, the side with 600 people had walked for three days. Well, who's going to win the battle? And so it was, a, it was a very exhausting thing to carry the armor, carry the shields, carry spears, carry swords, and so on. And so they always did one of two things. One, they would either have uh, armor bearers. If we're familiar with that, we find armor bearers in, in, uh, in 1 Samuel as well. Um, that armor bearers were young teens who would carry the equipment so that the men... When it, when it came time for battle, would just go back, they'd get their equipment, and now they're fresh. They'd only been walking. I don't think that's what happens here because it says that their families have been taken away. But another thing that they did, and this is what I believe is the case, is oftentimes they would take, they would take turns, and one-third of the army would carry all of the armor, all of the shields, all of the swords, 
So that way, no matter when they got to battle, two-thirds of the army was fresh. They would grab their sword, they would grab their battles, they would, they would grab everything they needed, and as they would go off the battle, then the, then the, the uh, one-third of the army would have a chance to relax, rest for a few minutes. By the time they entered the battle, they felt fresh. It was a smart tactic. I believe that's what's happening here. We can't say for sure because that's between the lines. I'm not going to die on that hill. But at the same time, we do know this. The Bible says very clearly in, uh, in verse 10, they were so weary that they could not cross the brook, the brook Basor. They were not wimps. They did everything they could until they were exhausted. And they were unable to go along with, uh, with the 400. It's important to understand that because we're going to come back to those 200 men in just a few moments. Now let's see how the story turns around. I love uh, how the story turns around. Verse, uh, verse 11. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him. For he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion in the southern area of the Cherethites, in the territory which belongs to Judah, and the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. By the way, do you see the providence of God taking place here? Mm -hmm. Verse 15, And David said to him, can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. And when he had brought them down, there they were, spread out over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Now we're beginning to see God's plan actually happen. See, God in his providence had already worked out details, and God had already caused someone to get sick, it already caused someone to just uh, throw him away, figuring he's just a worthless slave. And God providentially provided enough for him to live because he knew that David would need the information of where in the world the Amalekites went, right? Have you ever had that happen where uh, as you do the math and you realize you were praying for something, but before you even knew there was a need, God had already put things in place to answer that request? I mean, isn't that amazing when you think about it? That's, that's our sovereign God that we were just singing about this morning. Amen? Oh, that's a horrible amen. You've got to give me a better amen than that. Amen? Okay, that's, that's much better. Of course, because it's our awesome sovereign God who's doing this. And what we find then, you know, is David found strength in the Lord before he even knew what God's plan was. He just trusted that God had a plan. Now we begin to see the plan. David... So, or didn't know what the plan was, and he still trusted. Here's a summary for the downs of life, the valleys of life. It's simple. We should not look to blame others around us or seek revenge, but instead we should take comfort in knowing that God is in control, and we should seek to do His will. Amen? If we always did that in the downs of life, we would go through a lot more valleys and, and spend a lot less time camping down in the valleys of life. Amen? Well, things turn. So we've seen the, the positive side. Now we're going to reduce the negative side. Now we're going to look a little bit at the positive side and looking for lessons. And yeah, so let's read verse 17 through 20. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. 
So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Don't you love it when tables turn? I'll be honest, I, I, I'm a sucker for movies where, where things are going wrong and someone is really bad and they get what they deserve. Anyone else like, like me here? Okay, I know. Uh, that's just, that's, that's the way I, and I love, I love this story because David gets what he deserves in a positive way. The Amalekites get what they deserve in a negative way, but the tables have completely turned. And we have a table-turning God. And uh, so we see God doing some fantastic things in this. I think one thing that really hits me, though, when I, when I read these verses is the size difference. When we think of David, how many men did he have? 400 men. Of course, you knew that because it's up on the screen, right? So 400 men. Now, how many men did the Amalekites have? It doesn't actually say how many the Amalekites were. In fact, let's look at it one more time in verse, uh, verse 17. The second half of verse 17. It says, Not a man of them escaped except... 400 young men who rode on camels. So the idea is that to them, they had 400 who escaped. So there were 400 survivors on both sides. 400 on David's side, 400 on the Amalekite's side. But according to the numbers, it said not a man of them escaped except for 400. So what does that mean? It means 400 was nothing. Right? So however many they started with, 400 was considered nothing. They had 400 survivors in spite of having an, unnumbered, uh, an unknown number of soldiers on their side. David started with how many? And he ended with how many? How many casualties is that? Zero. Is that, is that normal? No, that, that's not normal. Now David had, I mean, he knew how to train his men to fight. David was a fighter. He knew how to train his men to fight. He's a great fighter. His men were good. But not that good, right? I mean, that's, that's not being really tough. That's God on your side. Amen. And that makes all the difference. And I think that's important to understand as we switch from the downs, the valleys, and we go to the high points uh, in life. So David took comfort in the sovereignty of God before he knew his plan. And we got to see the Lord do something great. You know, I think that's an important point um, uh, if we, there's a quote by Kevin DeYoung in his book called uh, Just Do Something. And he said, sometimes uh, we're praying the coward's prayer. Lord, tell me what to do so nothing bad will happen to me and I won't have to face danger or the unknown. We want to know everything is going to be fine for us and for those we love. Honestly, how many of us have been there? Oh, I'll be honest, I hate the unknown. I would much rather plan things. I, I like to plan And the unknown sometimes scares me. But you know what? Sometimes God puts us in a position where the future is unknown because what should we do there? Take comfort in Him. Seek His will. And those are things that draw us closer to our God. And that's exactly what David did. It was unknown to him. He didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know if his family was alive or not. He took comfort knowing that God was in control. That's... uh, an amazing thing. But how, do we, how are we prone to respond? If we really look at verse 20 one last time, um, I think we're going to begin to see a hint 
of a problem in the way they responded. Verse 20, then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, this is David's spoil. Do you see a problem? A little bit of an attitude adjustment that needs to happen there? As soon as they start saying, this is David's spoil, who are they giving the credit to? To David. But when we think of the numbers, 400 verses in an innumerable amount of people, um, God brought them out of that victory completely unscathed. Who should have the credit? God should have the credit. And we begin to see this attitude of, oh, wait a minute, we won the victory. We won the victory. And they're not including God in that. In fact, David won the victory. I think it's, it's interesting because what were they saying about David just a few verses earlier? Let's stone this guy. Let's stone him. Let's kill him. And now they're saying, look at all this blunder. This is the spoils of David. First thing that we do, our first response, we are prone to respond in the positive times of life by giving credit to the wrong people. To give credit to man instead of giving credit to God who deserves it. Amen? We do. And, and, um, and we oftentimes uh, do that and instead. I liked the way, uh, the way it was done this morning. We talked about people who accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Who do, who do we give praise to? To God for that, right? God did that. That's pretty awesome. And so we, should, we, we shouldn't give credit to other people. And sometimes I think we do give too much credit to other people when we think, oh man, if we just had the right president, then our whole country would be better. Or if we just had the right pastor, then our country, would, or then our church would be better. Or if we just had the right this or that. And you know what? We have the right God who's in control of all of it. And since we have the right God, then we can do everything he's called us to do. Amen? Amen. And so... But that's how we, we are prone to respond. I would say that uh, we can take a little further. If we read in verses 20, uh, 21 and 22, we see this attitude even beyond that in the, in the, the men. Verse, 20, verse 21. Now David came to the 200 men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also made, uh, had made to stay at the brook Basor. So he went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless men of, of those who went with David answered and said, Because you did not go with us, we will not give them, or because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that, they, that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. You see what's going on? They come back, uh, they come back and uh, uh, um, they come back and they say, We won this victory. So we should divide the spoils just among the 400. The 200, sorry guys, you guys stay here, you lose out. And out of the goodness of our hearts, we'll let you keep your wives and children, right? Um, thanks. <laughs> but when they say that, what does that reveal about their attitude? Who are they giving credit to? Now they're not just giving credit to, to David, they're, they're taking credit for themselves. And if we're honest, when things are going well, oftentimes we fall into that same trap and we start taking credit for it ourselves. Now, I'd love to tell you uh, uh, some of the great things that God did in Costa Rica, but I can't tell you the great things I did in Costa Rica. I can only tell you the great things that God did in Costa Rica. 
right? And, and I'd love to hear your stories about the great things that God's doing here, and the people who've gotten saved. I'd love to hear more stories about the people who got saved yesterday. That's what God did. Instead of taking the credit ourselves, we should seek to give God the glory. So we give God the glory, we share in the, uh, uh, we share in the, in the spoils. Uh, so let's look at how, how we should respond. Let's, let's go to, to uh, verse uh, 23 to 25. Now we're looking at how should we respond. But David uh, said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the truth that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as, as part is, but as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays with the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward, he made a statute and an ordinance for Israel uh, to that, uh, from that day. So here we see David taking a completely different attitude. And first, his attitude was to give the glory to whom? His attitude was to give God the credit. Or, uh, put that in advance, hold on. There we go. Give the glory to God. Notice what he said. Did you see, did you see the way David phrased it? I think his the way he phrased that is very important. He said, My brother, you, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us. See how he brings the Lord in? He calls it a gift, right? In other words, we didn't work for this. It's a gift, much like our salvation, right? Who, who has preserved us. And he delivered the hand of the troops that came against us. He delivered them to us. You, you, you catch the idea of what David is saying? He's saying, Guys, we didn't do this. You're using we. I'm saying God did this for us. And because God did this, then, then what should we do? We give the glory to him. But not only do we give the glory to him, the second thing, we share in the spoils. We share in the spoils. To those who stayed with the supplies, guess what? Equal share. Why? Because they did what God called them to do. Period. They could have done no more. The verse is very clear. They could not go any further. In fact, David took this, this same point a little bit further. If we look at uh, verse, uh, verse 26, now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoil to the elders of Judah and to his friends, saying, here is a present for you from the spoils of the enemies of the Lord. So not just the soldiers shared in the spoil, but who? The elders of Israel, the elders of Judah. They shared in the spoil. Why? Because everyone has their role. Everyone has their role. And if they're doing their role faithfully, then we share in the spoils. The very moment we say, well, you know what? I think I deserve a little bit more than, than everybody else. Then what's happening? Pride is coming into our lives. And the focus is really coming onto ourselves. And we're losing our focus on God. In fact, if we think through it in both the lessons in the downs and the lessons in the ups of life, have the same general concept, and that is we need to take the emphasis off of man and put it onto God. But if we think through it, what we said about uh, the downs of life, we should not look to blame others or uh, around us or seek revenge, right? Focus on man. But instead, we should focus on God. We should take comfort in knowing that God is in control. 
and we should seek his will. Focus off of man. Focus on God. And as we look at what we, we see in the ups of life, we should not take credit for what God has done, putting focus on man, but instead give God the, the glory that he deserves and the share in the spoils of his faithfulness. If we do that, we will make it through the ups and downs of the Christian walk. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. You promise us that when we look at your word, it will reveal things in us that we need to change. James compares it to a mirror. When we see things, we make changes. Lord, I look into this passage and I see areas I need to adjust my attitude and I need to, to refocus on you and focus less on me, focus less on people. But Lord, allow your word to touch me. I pray that you would allow your word to touch every person here. Lord, there might be some here that they've gone through valleys, but they are walking alone. They're going, they've gone to the valley, but they're not going through the valley because you're not walking with them because they don't really know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, if there's anyone here today that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would not leave without talking to myself or talking to Pastor Larry or talking to uh, Pastor Tim, talking to one of us so we can show them clearly from your word how they can have a relationship with you that will last for an eternity. Lord, for those who do know you, Lord, you know, there are, there are some who are walking through the low times of life today. Help them, comfort them, Lord, so that they know that they can trust in you, that your will is good, and that you are sovereign to make it happen. And Lord, there are some that might be coming today, and things are going really well, and there might be a temptation to start taking the credit and, and, and uh, allowing pride to take root in their heart. Lord, I pray that, that you would not allow that to happen, that your word would convict them as well so that we can give you the glory of all the great things you've done. And Lord, I pray this in confidence that you will do just as we've prayed because it's in accordance with your will. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.